It's Friday, June 2nd, and this is the Dutch News Podcast, your weekly chance to catch up with what's been going on here in the Netherlands. I'm Paul Peters, Coffee expert, and with me today are permanent resident Molly Quell, congratulations Molly, and refugee in his own home, Gordon Derrick. Why are you a refugee, uh, Gordon? Well, uh, there's a building site uh, outside my house at the moment. They're digging up the whole street to put in a new sewer. And uh, this week, the builders came and uh, dumped um, a nice big generator right outside my bedroom window. Uh, so about two in the morning, I gave up trying to sleep and uh, moved into the living room. So I'm, I'm now camping out in, in my house. Right. So, yeah. So, yeah, we, so, we, so please send tea, you know, blankets. Yeah, we informed the World Food Programme to right. send over some, uh, some yeah. supplies. So uh, I think that will be fine. Yeah, yeah. Gordon, you, you, you could also... Uh, sleep in the Rijksmuseum nowadays. Yes, it's, uh, yeah, that, that's a new thing apparently. It's, uh, if you're the 10 millionth visitor uh, to the Rijksmuseum, then you get to spend the night uh, with uh, all the people in the night watch. That's kind of cool, actually. Yeah. 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 They, I, I assume that they had a guard in there with them to make sure he didn't like, so, yeah. touch the painting. Well, there's a photo of him, wasn't there? He had a sort of bed um, yeah. set out in front of the painting and he had a little glass of... Uh, wine on his own it looks and, uh, uh, it looked quite looks, uh, uh, quite nice and the guard was sleeping next to him in the bed of course it was yeah. <laughs> of course so uh, molly you were mistaken uh... i was mistaken for a dutch person today you guys how do you I'm feel so ashamed um, that's that's all because like of I your permanent move. residency yes <laughs> it, well it, the discussion came up because i got my permanent residency this week so if ever there was a reason to vote for the pay i believe this is it <laughs> And, uh, yeah, during this conversation I was having with a group of friends, one of the girls that was there said, oh, I, I assumed that you were Dutch. And then I was very sad. And pandas. We can finally see No, them we're not talking about pandas. There's so many more uh, exciting <laughs> animal stories this week, you guys. Okay, then we will just uh, continue with the program. No, no, no. Stop the bumper. There was, a, there was a, our top news story this week, which should be the delivery of Terry Baudet's piano <laughs> yeah. to the Binnenhof. Yeah, this man of the people, Thierry Baudet, the man who vowed to smash the establishment from within, has had a grand piano delivered to yes. his office. So that's a good way to start, to, yes. I think, to and, show that you're on the side of the working man. Um, why d- does he just want to play the grand piano in his office? Is that it, why it's there? Is it, it his was, grand it piano? It was a campaign promise that if he if he would be elected into parliament, he 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 would bring a piano into his uh, into his office. So is this like the train station pianos where they're just going to put it in the foyer <laughs> with like a play me sign on it, and then yeah. like the the other people in the offices around them will will get mad, and then they will take the piano away because it sounds so awful. Yeah, yeah. Uh, or, or perhaps Thierry will just give people's concerts every Monday at oh. the, in, in his office. He, he's very good. Apparently. Can he do? It while yeah. lying seductively on top of the piano, do you think? Or no, no, we don't want to get into your fantasies. <laughs> <laughs> well, looking for the lying, Terry Bode lying seductively on top of the piano photo yesterday, I came across the fact that people had photoshopped this onto a whole bunch of stuff, <laughs> yeah. including Terry Bode lying seductively on top of a croquette, which is now like my favorite uh, meme of all time. <laughs> well, uh, this week we'll uh, update you on the exciting and never ending roller coaster that is the Dutch government forming process, a wishing well video from the citizens of Amsterdam to their mayor and some adoption news. And after that, we'll be discussing the extinction of the Dutch language in universities. Ada Skippers handed off the coalition formation process to Herman Schenk Willek on Monday, and he wasted no time getting started. The new coalition process began on Wednesday, and Vilnik refused to speculate on how long the process might take. It has been three months since elections in March, and the first round of coalition talks between the VVD, the CDA, Deza Sestug, and GroenLinks fell apart last week. Most MPs have a preference for a cabinet with majority in the lower house, so it's likely that these new talks will include GroenLinks and the Christian Uni. GroenLinks leader Jessica Klaver said during a Tuesday debate in Parliament that he is willing to return to the negotiating table so long as there are no conditions placed on the discussion. 
So what do we know about uh, Hermann Tink-Willink, uh, Paul? He's been in pre- involved in previous coalition processes. Yeah, it? very much indeed. Uh, he was involved in the coalition uh, talks in 1994, 1999, and also in 2010 with the uh, notorious uh, Gedoog coalition with uh, uh, the PVV. Um, he is a friend and a former advisor of uh, Queen Beatrix, and uh, he, he was also the vice president of the uh, Council of State, that is the uh, main advisory um, institute for the government. So he, he he was a very powerful and very influential man. Um, he's He has retired a few years ago, so now he is considered to be out of politics and uh, standing above all politics, so a perfect uh, man uh, for the job. Yes, yeah, so he's kind of an older statesman, and he, he was a Labour politician, wasn't he? Yeah, and, indeed. Uh, and he has this nickname of Underconing. Yeah, that's uh, Council of State. It is chaired by the King, officially, formally, but since the king is not involved in politics, uh, uh, the man in charge is the vice president of the Council of State. So that's where his nickname came from. He had been do- he has been doing that for I think almost two decades. Mm-hmm. So um, a very powerful, very experienced uh, guy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so how is his approach different from Skipper's? I know that he said that he wanted to start with a quote clean slate this week. Yes, and uh, he's uh, he's been brought in to, to apply some pressure on the uh, uh, negotiators. Um, he's brought in to, 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 to force uh, everyone to take a stance on a certain issue rather than push this away when they, they uh, can't uh, uh, reach an agreement. Uh, so he has a very different style than Edith Schippers and uh, uh, he's brought in to, uh, you know, speed up the pace. And we got some news as well, didn't we, on the economic front uh, this, this week because yeah. there's been a lot of speculation that uh, the budget surplus uh, that was touted back in March isn't quite as big as it was going to be. No, Jeroen Dijsselbloem revised the budget surplus downwards this week from uh, 0.5% to 0.2%, so spending plans will have to be curtailed, which is probably bad for uh, Groen Links, I would imagine. Yeah, so there's obviously some room for uh, more spending, and um, but, but not as much as they not thought as... there was. Yeah. yeah. One party leader who isn't going to be involved in the coalition talks is uh, PVV leader Geert Wilders, but he might be talking to the prosecution service uh, over the next few weeks because he's facing another investigation for making unsavoury comments about Muslims. This time in Austria, he told an audience in Vienna two years ago that Islam was, quote, an ideology of war and hatred and claimed that the Quran, quote, called upon people to become terrorists. The Dutch prosecution service confirmed it had launched an investigation after Austrian authorities passed on a formal complaint by a Muslim rights group. So Gordon what did uh, Wilder say about this on Twitter? Because I'm sure that that's where he uh, posted his response. Uh, well, your guess is right. And uh, he responded with all the kind of um, calm, measured, reasonable response we've come to associate with Kit Wilders down the years. He said it was incomprehensible and asked why prosecutors won't go out there catching thieves and terrorists instead, which is the sort of thing that everyone says when they're just being stopped by the police riding, driving through a red light. So this complaint, it's coming from Austria, but but who exactly is complaining? So it was an Austrian Muslim spokesman called Tarafa Bagiati, um, and uh, he said of Wilders' language, it reminded me of the Nazi rhetoric of the 1930s. Uh, he also complained originally about the FPO, which is the Austrian sister party to the PVV. They invited Wilders to give this speech in Vienna, um, and the Austrian prosecutors uh, took a look and decided just to concentrate on Wilders, and then they decided that uh, they didn't want to take up the case themselves, but they passed the file on to the, uh, uh, the public prosecution service in The Hague. Yeah, can I just say that I think that this is absurd? <laughs> I really, I really find it very frustrating that people continue to attempt to to prosecute him in court for this defamatory language because, I I mean, yeah, I think that the things that he said are deplorable and terrible, but... You know, we would like to protect some sort of freedom of speech. And that all this does is just adds fuel to his fire and allows people to think that, like, yeah, the government is really out to get him. It's just so infuriating to see them giving him another platform on which to complain 
endlessly on Twitter about how persecuted he is. Yeah, it gives him the perfect, gives him the perfect forum to to, to 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 play the martyr act and uh, say that he's being he's being persecuted. He hashtagged it as well, legal jihad. Of course just, he did. Uh, so, so. Yeah, so, so it all plays into his hands. But I suppose if they, if they get a file and they get a complaint, then they have a duty to kind of investigate it. And they haven't got as far as the prosecution stage yet. And uh, yeah, I have to see whether they actually take it that far. I've got to, I have to say that when you look at the the circumstances here, it seems closer to the first the two trials that Wilders faced where he was on trial for insulting the Muslim religion he was cleared that time the second one his comments were directed at um, Dutch Moroccans as a racial group and that was, that seems to be the dividing line really there's a lot of freedom to insult people's religion but if you start uh, dishing out racial abuse that's when you get into trouble yeah and the the Moroccan thing was for the the Minder Minder yeah comments. it was it's Min Minder comments right. uh, three years ago so what if any sort of punishment could he be facing under this this investigation if they decide to go forward well I mean for his last um, trial he was um, he, he was found guilty he wasn't actually given any punishment or fine by the court they decided the conviction was uh, spoke for itself um, so and, and, and certainly it's probably good for him that uh, he's having the prosecution here rather than well if he is prosecuted that the investigation is here rather than in Austria because in Austria uh, politicians have been given suspended jail sentences uh, for similar comments <laughs> Citizens of Amsterdam have made a video promising to look after the city in honor of their mayor, Eberhard van der Laan, who is seriously ill with lung cancer. Van der Laan is currently undergoing chemotherapy and is no longer working full-time, though he will continue to take part in ceremonial events and is on standby in case of emergencies. In the two-minute videos, celebrities and ordinary Amsterdams all pledge that if he is no longer able to beat their mayor, his ideas and his positivity will live on. Yeah, Eberhard van der Laan is a very very popular, very popular mayor, and uh, he's loved all around the city. So um, yeah, it's uh, it's a really uh, uplifting uh, video. For yeah, it's him. kind of a quite touching video when you see it, isn't it? Yeah. yeah what sort of things were in there? What 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 kind of messages were they sending? Uh, well, for example, a singer. He he promised to promised to uh, keep the city gezellig. Of course. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, a drag queen uh, uh, promised to keep the city tolerant. And uh, also a street trader uh, promised not to come into contact with the police anymore. Oh, that's very that's nice. nice. Yeah. Well, perhaps some of the other criminal elements in, uh, in Amsterdam will, will promise to take it easy on the police. Yeah, there were no drugs gangsters uh, yeah. involved in the video, no. though. Nor, yeah. uh, nor drugs crocodiles, I assume. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and no um, beer feats uh, drivers or uh, t- no. taxi drivers saying they won't be quite so aggressive. Uh, some news on the employment front now. Uh, green jobs are in, while green backs are falling out of favour with Dutch students, according to a survey of the most popular graduate jobs. Swedish consultancy Universum found that progressive companies, such as car manufacturer Tesla, which has its European headquarters in Amsterdam, were in demand, while banks and accountancy firms lost ground. Online retailers like Coolblue and Booking.com were also valued for their informal working environment and enterprising culture. So what were the most popular companies to work for? Uh, well, it, it wasn't all um, uh, hip, cool uh, tech firms. It was also Heineken and KLM were still the most popular employers uh, for Dutch students. Of course, it's very uh, very good for their national pride, I suppose. Indeed. Are there any other notable employment uh, trends this week? Uh, yes, apparently there's a shortage of construction workers and nurses. Uh, so there's, um, the economic figures are uh, generally good. Unemployment's coming down. It's uh, It might fall down to 300,000 by the end of next year, which is about half what it was at the peak of the crisis. But now some sectors are having a problem where there aren't enough applicants. Um, So IT, healthcare and construction, who all laid off lots of people um, during the crisis, um, that might have put 
people off from uh, going into those careers. And now especially the building trade is just uh, got a real shortage of things like carpenters, bricklayers and technicians because now the housing market's picking up and um, yeah, lots of uh, construction's uh, on the rise again. So even though there was an amazing story about a buzzard attacking people in a park in South Holland, I was outvoted by my useless and out-of-touch colleagues. So I am forced to bring you the story of a gay vulture couple who have adopted an abandoned egg. The two male vultures had already coupled up, got married at the city hall on a Monday, of course, because that's when it's free, and built themselves an adorable starter home, I mean nest, in the center of Amsterdam, specifically in the Amsterdam Royal Zoo. When zookeepers discovered a loose egg in the vulture enclosure, they decided to let the couple adopt it. The two vultures are sharing parental responsibilities equally by first taking turns sitting on the egg and now feeding the chick. Only a few months ago, another vulture chick hatched in the zoo to boring heterosexual parents, which was the first (laughs) vulture chick to hatch in nearly five years. And the zoo aims to release both chicks into the wild once they reach maturity. So do both of these vultures uh, get a papadach? Yes, they both get a papadach. They've they've negotiated uh, strongly with the zoo in order to to be able to have that. I believe one is on Wednesday and one is on Friday. Right, okay. Yeah, of course. So so, so then they've still got time to join the coalition talks. They're still happy to participate in this. Um, And I hear that they are, of course, uh, welcoming their child home for a warm lunch every day and uh, picking them up after school and arranging for lots of (laughs) offsprocks with the other vulture chick. So, Molly, I also heard something about a buzzard attacking people in a park. Can you tell us more about that? There is a buzzard attacking people in a park in South Holland. Apparently, the buzzard is a, a female buzzard and it is nesting. And so it has some buzzard chicks as well. And I guess when they are... Uh, nesting they get quite aggressive and so people walking in the park have been sort of dive bombed by this buzzard which has caused like several head injuries to people <laughs> requiring people to go to the hospital and get some stitches in their head so it's weird that the uh, vultures are the uh, are the non-aggressive birds right, in yeah. this uh, <laughs> yeah. story yes. they are very aggressive though buzzards um, I, I was dive bombed by one one time that must be nesting uh, out where I go running where my where my, my, my <coughs> they are very aggressive though buzzards uh, I was dive bombed by one time and I was out running in Drenthe where my in-laws live and uh, it uh, literally just swooped down I didn't see it at all it must have been just monitoring me from the skies and suddenly I just felt this whoosh of my head just like Pearl Harbor all over again pretty much yeah. did you have to uh, go to the hospital and get some stitches? no I managed to miss my, my scalp but if, if I'd had a hit Villa's haircut it could have done real damage <laughs> could have done real yeah. damage yeah. and also uh, the pandas you can go see the pandas now yeah. Yeah. no one cares, no one cares about, 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 about pandas now. we've got buzzards In sport, Tom Dumoulin ended a 37-year wait by winning the Giro d'Italia in dramatic fashion on Sunday. Dumoulin started the final day of the cycle race nearly a minute behind his Colombian rival, Nairo Quintana, but pulled out all the stops in the time trial to win the race by 31 seconds. He's the first Dutchman to win a major cycle tour since Joop Soutermelk won the Tour de France in 1980, and he received a hero's welcome in his hometown of Maastricht. So, please explain to me how it has taken this long to get a Dutch winner for this cycling race, since all Dutch people are born with a bike between their legs? It is quite uh, surprising, because there are lots of, um, obviously, uh, Dutch uh, cyclists on the Tour, but um, for whatever reason, they never quite managed to produce a winner since Soutermelk back in '80, who won two races. He won yeah. the Tour of Spain as well. Yeah, we like to participate in sports where no one else is uh, participating, like mm-hmm. ice skating for example right and uh field hockey ball yeah. yeah right yeah, we yeah. as well and uh, what was the reception in uh, maastricht like did you visit uh i didn't go to maastricht no but apparently it's, uh, it was quite lively there was uh, yeah, about ten thousand uh, people packed the um the square in front of the town hall um they put out a big pink stage because the uh, pink is kind of the color of the 
uh, Giro d'Italia. It's, yeah, it's um, like the yellow jersey yeah, of the... exactly. Uh, you get yeah. a pink jersey if you win. So the big pink stage, and uh, Dumoulin uh, was, uh, was handed over a, um, uh, a royal distinction. He's now a knight in the order of Oranje Nassau. For some reason, it was handed over by the junior health minister, Martin van Rijn. Everybody else was busy with yeah, coalition. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and he got the freedom of Limburg, although um, that's a slight, slightly ironic because he, doesn't, he actually lives just across the border in Belgium. We'll be discussing uh, the English language in the Dutch universities after this word from our sponsors. Access is an independent, not-for-profit organization which has been helping internationals successfully settle in the Netherlands for the past 30 years. Access is run entirely by a team of highly skilled, motivated and professional volunteers who have themselves been experts. Their vision is to provide essential, comprehensive and unique services nationally through the expertise and experience of their volunteer expatriate community. You can find out more about Access and the services they offer at the website www.access-nl.org. Education advocacy group Beter Onderwijs Nederland filed a lawsuit this week because, according to them, too many university courses are given in English. They argue that universities stop teaching in Dutch for economic reasons. Programs in English attract more foreign students, obviously, which in turn results in more funds. That raises the question, should Dutch universities teach only in Dutch, or should English be allowed, and to what extent? Let's start with the facts. 60% of Dutch university courses are taught entirely in English, 70% of all the master courses are in English as well, and uh, three universities in the country only offer master's courses in English. Including uh, the master's program that you are in, right, Paul? Yeah, uh, I think all the uh, master courses in the... Yeah, uh, the TU Delft is one of these universities that uh, only does their master's program in English. Yeah. What is the argument against teaching in English? The argument that, I, as I have understood it, is, is sort of twofold. One is, is that there is a concern that there's going to be a loss with the sort of cultural traditions and touchstones of the language and the and the culture and the history if you switch to teaching in English. The sort of corollary to that is, is that some majors are in Strictly tied to the language. So for example, architecture or law, where they, they have a, a long history with these sort of cultural norms, but also that like those are the languages that are going to be used by students when they graduate. The other sort of argument, and this is what brought the lawsuit up, is, is that the existing uh, teachers and, and such, their English is not of that high of a caliber, so it makes the language barrier really difficult. Um, and that's also true, I guess, for some Dutch students. So that's sort of the, the issues that they are attempting to address, I guess, with this lawsuit. Those are the downsides. Yeah, and I think some um, lecturers or some university staff say that they, that they feel like they can't express themselves well enough when they're giving classes or seminars um, when they're speaking in English, and they would rather do it in Dutch because that would give them a, give a much more kind of nuanced and uh, you know, intricate picture of their subject. Yeah, I even heard, uh, I even uh, read that a professor was complaining that uh, he's not that funny in English, so he <laughs> prefers to teach in Dutch because then everyone will laugh about his... Uh, they can appreciate his wonderful jokes. Yeah, <laughs> indeed. Yet Bussemaker, the education minister, what, what is she saying about this? So, yeah, so Bussemaker sort of argues in, in favor of using English in the sense that, like, you know, it's sort of become the world's scientific language, but she doesn't appreciate the fact when, when universities are doing this just as a way to make money, um, which is a bit of a controversial subject because universities generally argue that foreign students are not more lucrative. And the reason that they say this is because the amounts that they charge to foreign students for tuition is on par with what the Dutch government gives them for students graduating. So they say, well, it doesn't make a difference to us whether or not we get the money from the foreign students or whether or not we get the money from the Dutch government. We have no preference. The reality of that situation, I think, is a bit more complicated because 
they don't, it's, it's not like they get a per, per student allowance from the government. There is like sort of a, a block granting kind of measure for students who graduate. And so it's, it's very unclear in the financing whether or not the tuition dollars from a foreign student, which are quite high outside the EU, is something like 10,000 euros per year, really actually equates with what they sort of get in money from the government to sort of support the university. So I think it's a little unclear, although I think the proof is kind of in the pudding from my perspective that like most of these universities are switching because they are finding it to be more lucrative to have international students in their, their programs. Yeah, and the Dutch government is trying to cut the amount that uh, it spends on uh, university education as well, right? So there's now student loan uh, system being brought in, so students are having to pay more for their tuition anyway. And then it seems like this seems to be a problem of the Dutch government's making. It right. wants students to be financing their own tuition much more. Then that surely gives an incentive to the universities to pick the students who are going to pay the most. And pay the the most sort of uh, very easily, right, that they have mm. to kind of put this cash kind of in up front. Um, yeah, there's about 36,000 uh, foreign students studying at Dutch universities. Now, a, a decent chunk of them come from Germany and Belgium, and so they're paying the sort of European Union rate, um, which is which is significantly lower. But in recent years, you've seen a huge uptick in students coming from India and China, where they're paying the outside of the European Union rate, which is quite high, um, especially for master's programs. I think, from my point of view, that it's no problem problem at all to have English as uh, the language at the universities. I mean, the very point of science is exchanging information and uh, exchanging knowledge. And you're not going to be able to do that in Dutch. Uh, especially uh, I study at the technical university um, I mean all my books are in English uh, I, I wouldn't I couldn't can't imagine uh, a Dutch guy uh, write a textbook on calculus or something I mean it's just not lucrative for a writer to to write a book like that you meet a lot of new people at the universities uh, uh, you need uh, you meet you come in touch with all these uh, uh, cultures I think it's only a positive thing to be honest yeah and surely um, as you're saying when you're dealing with uh, technical subjects and applied sciences you, you're going to be quite like to be working later on in international environment and with students from all over the world and then it makes sense to have the tuition in English. I can fully understand why a subject like, you know, sort of history or literature, you know, you, you should teach that in Dutch, but where's the benefit from teaching uh, scientific subjects in a language that uh, far fewer students uh, have access to? Yeah, indeed. If, if I write a paper in, in Dutch, then that there's no Italian guy that's going to read it, right? So, so you need to write it in yeah. English and that just happens to be the international academic language. I mean, we, we could write everything in Latin. Uh, mm -hmm. I don't mind. Cherry Baudet wouldn't mind too. <laughs> but that's just how the world works. And that's benefits as well, surely, for the reputation of Dutch universities internationally. Because when you look at the league table of the best universities in the world, it's dominated by native English-speaking countries. Yeah, like by, US, uh, by, by the United uh, Kingdom and, yeah. and, and the US. Uh, but then the countries just behind that are the countries that are best, most proficient in English as a second language, like the Netherlands and Sweden. So. Yeah, and the note to that is a sort of, it's very difficult to recruit talented staff internationally, right, if you are operating in Dutch. So so I know that this is often a problem at the TU where, uh, although the language for the graduate school is in English, that there are uh, many times where, you know, there's situations where in staff meetings and stuff, there's more people who speak Dutch than speak English. And so they conduct these meetings in, in, in Dutch and, and, and that sort of thing. And it, it drives away a lot of talent that it, it's been a big problem in, in particular in the computer science department at the TU Delft, where they've had a lot of problems over the years retaining top talented staff, many of whom have gone to places like Oxford, where they are, you know, able to sort of interact better, even in like an administrative capacity in mm -hmm. English. And so I 
think the universities sort of have to ask themselves like whether or not they want to be the sort of prestigious institution that can recruit and 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 hire talented foreign staff. I mean, I, I suppose that if what the university wants to be is is a language, you know, sort of for Dutch students and that they want to focus on the Dutch market, you know, I guess that's their prerogative, but they can't have it both ways. Like you don't get to bring in really talented researchers from Singapore and the US and sort of poach these, you know, really brilliant people who are working on major scientific discoveries and then also expect that everyone is going to speak Dutch. I mean, it's just a language that is not prevalent enough for that to sort of be a plan. You know, and as Paul was saying, like English has become the language of science. And so, you know, the most prestigious academic journals are published in English, you know, these sorts of things. I mean, the big science news publications are all done in English. I mean, this just sort of is the way that the world has gone. Yeah, and it works the other way as well, I suppose, because you want your best academics to be able to go out into the world and share the ideas and publish in the in the top international journals. And to do that, they've, they've got to do it in English. Yeah, and if your argument is that the quality of English is not well enough at the universities, then do a better job teaching mm-hmm. your staff and your students English, yeah. I guess. I certainly think it's easier to teach Dutch university professors English than it is to try to stop the tide of the spread of English as the world's scientific language. <laughs> I mean, if you're going to pick a fight, I think one of them is easier than the other. But it's interesting, well, this also seems to be filtering down into the vocational level, where HBO colleges are now demanding better a better level of English among their students. So I suppose at that level, you might argue that it would be better for students to um, to have their tuition or uh, do their work in Dutch. But, uh, I mean, the, the idea of the educational system is that you can uh, flow from the lower uh, educational programs to the HBO and to mm. the university. And uh, if the university university uh, you know is increasingly more and more in English then you should prepare your HBO students for well an education program in English as well but you could argue these HBO uh, institutes they don't have as many foreign staff members and professors and lecturers Mm. than the universities have obviously so you could argue is it really necessary for these schools to teach uh, in English I suppose you could argue as well that uh, it, it might, it's better for those students to get a good grounding in their subject and if they show enough aptitude to move up to university then level then they're not going to become in English and also of course you can say as well that maybe it is increasingly difficult to find enough staff who can do the teaching in English to the sufficient uh, standards yeah yeah well I think there's sort of two questions about that right that one the the Javier schools need to be asking themselves like where these students are going to end up in 10 or 20 mm. years and if you think that they're you know a, a somewhat of a majority of them are going to end up at institutions where it's likely that the business language will be English then you know you're going to put them at a real disadvantage to be able to move forward in the corporate world or be able to compete sort of on an international level right you know this is one of the the things with the creation of the European Union that if you know we were just talking Talking about jobs reports, right? Like if you have a, if you need a bunch of carpenters and they don't have enough carpenters here, then you're going to start importing carpenter, carpenters from, I don't know, Belgium, which I guess is famous for its carpenters. <laughs> you, you know, you're going to have, well, maybe Belgium is not a great example because a lot of them speak Dutch, but say you're like importing a bunch of carpenters from France. Well, when they all get to the building site, they're going to be speaking English. It's likely more, much more likely that English is the common language than, than Dutch is. Well, you know, 10 years down the road, that may mean that there's a lot of French carpenters here owning French carpentry businesses. And if graduates from Habeo institutions want to work there, then they're going to have to be able to speak some English because now it, it will be in this situation. So, I, I mean, I'm not familiar with 
sort of the forecasting for this, but I imagine like with everything else, like things are going more and more towards English. So I think you're putting students at a real disadvantage if you don't encourage them to kind of improve their English. Yeah, universities and schools should take into account what is better for your students. Yeah. Uh, should should they be taught in English or, yeah. in, or, in, or in Dutch? Do you find, Paul, on a personal note that either your fellow students or your professors have difficulty expressing themselves in English when you're in court? When I'm having courses and yeah, there is a Dutch lecturer um, standing in front of me, I can all, always clearly hear that he is from the Netherlands. But that also if he is from Italy, for example, uh, you always hear an accent. I, I have to mm. say that the uh, lecturers that come from abroad, that they generally speak better English than, than the Dutch lecturers. But I only had one time that I didn't find the language skills of a, of a lecturer uh, not sufficient enough, his English language skills. I only saw that once. So I in my experience, it's not, not that big a problem. And what about with your fellow Dutch students? Do you find that they struggle with the language? Uh, yeah, some do. Yeah, yeah. that's true. Uh, again, the international students, they generally speak better English than the Dutch average. But I guess that's uh, logic, yeah. I assume. Yeah. 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 Do, you, do you ever find there's a problem with, say, international students and a Dutch lecturer? And they're all speaking English, but they're speaking different forms of English. Is but, that ever a problem? No, not, not really. They, they all always communicate well with each other. Mm. I did have one lecturer that, the, the one I was talking about, the one which I uh, find his English was problematic. Um, he used English words but he um, pronounced it in a Dutch way mm. so like uh, concept yeah. he always said concept which for me as a Dutch um, uh, student I knew what he meant but yeah. I imagine that if you are from Italy or from the UK or from wherever that you you don't immediately mm. understand what he means or uh, in my university we always use in formulas we use a lot of letters right an E and an I and an E in English is yeah. an A in Dutch, so mm -hmm. if you by uh, accident say A, you mean yeah. right, e, and it gets very confusing. Yeah, yeah. and an A is an A, so that that gets confusing. I imagine for, for foreign students. More specifically about this lawsuit, who is this group? So they're like an advoca educational advocacy group and they're suing the government or the universities? Uh, I think they are suing the governments because uh, there are no such thing as private universities here right. in, in the Netherlands. So I think they just, they are suing the uh, Ministry of Education. They are in charge of the universities. If they bring in lawsuit and they're suing them, they obviously think there's some kind of damage being done. What, what do they say? That, uh, yeah, well, they, they argue that universities shouldn't take their, uh, you know, economical concerns into account when they uh, have a certain policy or not. If they change it to English because they want to attract more uh, foreign students which are, you know, more lucrative, then they shouldn't be doing that. The real argument is that they think Dutch should be the main language in the universities. Yeah, but is it the argument that Dutch students are at a disadvantage because so much English is being used? Yeah, I think what they're aiming for here is stricter regulations about how universities are allowed to switch to English and what, you know, sort of trying to decrease the incentives for universities to go that direction. I mean, I think their argument is like what Paul said, that it is this financial incentive. So universities are really in it for the money and that they switch over and then it puts the Dutch students and the Dutch professors at a, at a disadvantage because they're not prepared to be able to do their studies in English. And so the argument is that they should have either stricter regulations about this process and switching or some sort of like financial incentive to keep the universities from doing this or just outright banning them, I guess, from doing this would mm -hmm. also be an outcome that they, they would seem to be happy with. I'm very curious to see how this case goes going forward because it seems to me like fairly obvious that you're sort of just pushing against a worldwide trend and it's very unlikely that yeah. like this lawsuit even if it sort of comes to fruition in the way that they're envisioning is going to actually stop kind of the spread of English as being like you said the scientific language. 
Yeah, they're not going to be able to stop that with uh, suing a Dutch university. No, no, yeah. any more than uh, idiotic lawsuits against builders is going to stop <laughs> terrible things against yeah. Muslims. Yeah. It always comes back to Kate builders. It always comes back to builders. <laughs> and uh, that's all we have for you this week. This podcast is a production of Dutch News, which can be found online at dutchnews.nl. We will include links to everything we've talked about uh, today in the liner notes. And you can now send comments, compliments and abuse by email to podcast at dutchnews.nl. My thanks to Molly Quell and Gordon Derrick. I'm Paul Peters and we'll be back next week. Thank you.